0: Amen. Our God is steadfast, and I pray that is what we will all see together, even in this passage this morning. Um, he's steadfast in that we're able to be in here to worship this morning. Yeah, you all missed a lot of exciting things this morning about 7.30. We had fire trucks outside, and there was a little little bit of smoke in here, but uh, something happened with one of the rooftop units. But, the, but we were going to worship either way. The music team was outside preparing. The elders were outside praying, and uh, some of our deacons were talking with the firefighters, and luckily we got to come back in and worship at eight o'clock. And uh, I don't know if the smell—I can't smell it anymore. If it's in here, uh, I'm used to it now. But our God is steadfast, and I hope we'll see that in the passage this morning. If, if you've been with us for any amount of time this year, you know that we've been in First Kings, and, and next Sunday we start Advent. <laughs> it's already here. Uh, we'll finish First Kings in January, but. We will be in First Kings this morning also, but hasn't it been an interesting journey? I mean, we've seen David, King David, come to his end. And then we saw Solomon, uh, Solomon the wise, rise and fall in a sense. Uh, we saw God's people divide into two nations. We saw God's people craft him in, their own, in an image the golden calves. Then they turn to other gods, idols, to try to control their own lives and their own circumstances. And then we saw Elijah, and we see that while he was a prophet, he's also a man like us. Uh, James helped us see that the last couple of weeks. Uh, Because at some point he despairs. He looks at himself, he says, what have I accomplished? Who am I? And he's in the cave, and God says, look, Elijah, you're part of something way bigger than you. I'm going to keep this work going, and you're going to go call Elisha, and he's going to carry on that work. And so this text uh, speaks to, I believe, purpose. While we're, none of us in this room are going to be a prophet in the official sense. (laughs) That's not for any of us here today, but it speaks generally about calling and purpose. And so I pray we'll see that. And so kids, uh, we adults need your help. So kiddos, y'all... Uh, look at me for just a second. I want to catch your eyes and your ears because I want to throw out a couple of questions that you can talk to your parents about later, Because they need to talk this out with you. We need to wrestle these questions, and it's it's two simple questions: What does God want me to do with my life? What does God want me to do with my life? And the second one is: How am I going to be able to do it? Okay. So let's let's think about that. Let's keep that in our minds as we read God's word, and we now. Turn there to God's inerrant and infallible word. In 1 Kings 19, verses 19 to 21, it says there, So he, Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, pray, asking the Lord to guide us in this time together. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true, that it is alive, it's living and active, and our prayer is that it would have its way in us this morning. So would you speak in power for your glory and our good? In Christ's name, amen. Uh, Well, uh, you don't have to look very far to see the, the cruelty that human beings are capable of. And you're like, what? That's a way to start a sermon, Michael. Uh, bear with me. It'll make sense in a minute. Uh, World War II, the German war machine was a, is an obvious example. We can all think of that one. Uh, it was the concentration camps and the gas chambers and the forced labor. There was one thing that they did that we may not be aware of, which was stripping human beings of purpose. Uh, they did that, too, intentionally. Uh, there was a particular camp that I've heard of that was in Hungary, and the prisoners there were forced to work in a factory that produced uh, I believe, it was alcohol that was part of the fuel that uh, actually fueled the, the war machine of Germany. And it was just horrible conditions, as you can imagine, as they all were. You've probably heard some of those stories. Uh, but these prisoners were <laughs> working for the German war machine, in terrible conditions. But they survived, because while the purpose was less than ideal, they had something they were doing. But then one day, the Allies bombed the factory, and it was gone. And the prisoners thought they were going to be coming out to a celebration of freedom, but instead they came out, and the leaders of the camp put them to work. And they had them take the rubble from the bombed factory, and carry it to another part of the camp and put it over there. When they'd finished that, they had them pick it up and carry it and put it back and back and forth. And these prisoners were looking at each other going, these guys don't have a clue what they're doing. But they were wrong. Because the commandant of the camp was conducting a social experiment. See, a uh, uh, 19th century Russian writer Dostoevsky says this, Deprived of meaningful work, men and women lose their reason for existence. They go stark raving mad. And that's exactly what happened at this camp. Uh, folks who had, who had survived for years of working in deplorable conditions kept going because they had purpose. But then when they saw that it was entirely meaningless, they began to come unglued. Some would even, they said, threw themselves into the electrified fence just to end their misery of meaninglessness. The commandant of the camp said, at one point, at this rate, we won't have to send anyone, send anyone to the gas chambers because they're taking care of themselves. You see, we were made to have purpose. We were made for it. And we know it. We know it intuitively. That That includes any human being that you will ever run across. It's intuitively just clear because of our created DNA. But here's the question. <clears throat> In a culture where purpose is often self defined, self discovered, self determined, and oftentimes self empowered, uh, will that actually do it for us? Does that actually bring purpose? You see, the pandemic is a recent example of a mass ripping off of the band aid of people's self defined purposes because. All those self-defined purposes, in a sense, became irrelevant overnight, because everything stopped. Everything people were working on stopped, and it revealed, oh, wow, who am I? What's my purpose? What am I doing? The human race became untethered in the pandemic. Well, it's into this human struggle that God's Word speaks. Uh, God's Word restores truth, restores purpose, something bigger than ourselves. And I think this text text speaks to three points that I want to make that are in your outline. The source of our purpose. The source of our purpose, where does it come from? The experience of our purpose, what does it actually look like to live out purpose? And then where's the power behind it to do it? So that's where we're going. So the source of our purpose, let's start there in verse 19, you see Elijah finds Elisha. I'm trying to pronounce those <laughs> well, they're very similar names. But Elijah finds Elisha, and so a few odd things kind of happen, right? Elisha is plowing his field, he's farming, okay, with his oxen. He's just doing his thing, and Elijah walks by, it seems like without a word, and just throws a cloak on him and keep, seems to keep going. Elisha seems to know exactly what that meant, because he immediately follows him. He says, hey, I'm, I'm in, but let me just go and honor my mother and father and say goodbye to them. And Elijah's response is maybe even more odd. He says, what have I done to you? <laughs> go ahead. It's an odd answer, but I think basically he's saying, look, this stuff isn't about us. Uh, I didn't do this. God did this. (laughs) So you don't answer to me. You answer to him. So uh, what have I done to you? Go ahead. Ball's in your court, Elisha. Well, Elisha does. He receives that and he goes and he he honors his parents. He says goodbye to them. And by by the way, Elisha, it says he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. A yoke would have been two yoked together. So that's 24 oxen. Anybody with that many oxen that needed that many, it would be like needing 12 tractors to plow your field. This is a big field. This is a family probably of means. Elisha was probably in his 20s, and he had a great inheritance uh, ready to go. But he leaves it and follows Elijah to be his assistant. So what's the big idea here? Well, Elisha's purpose comes from outside of himself it's bigger than him and he knows that and we human beings we we sort of intuitively know that we have this desire to be a part of something bigger uh there's a, a the 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 cultural buzz phrase right now that we're all hearing uh is better together right we've all heard that in commercials and ads right better together it's not wrong but it's kind of empty because it's missing a vitally important question. Who decides what we're doing together? <laughs> What's the grand purpose of being together? What makes it better? We're, we're living, I think, in largely unprecedented times in modern American society or the modern West, where I think we may be the first society that's, that's thrown off inherited purpose. What do I mean if we lived hundreds of years ago in Europe or wherever, um, parents weren't asking all their kids all the time, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? It, it They just didn't do that. If it, Then if your parents were farmers, guess what? You farmed. If your parents were blacksmiths, guess what? They're, Here's the tools of the trade. Come on and let's learn it. It was That was the way society worked. And we're the first society that's really said, now I'll figure that out on my own. And I think that may be, I've actually Googled this what are the top causes of anxiety in young people? And one of the top ones was expectations of achievement. We've got the pressure of figuring out what we're going to do with our entire lives. And it doesn't help when. Social media is showing you all kinds of other versions of great lives that people are living. And it's like, oh man, I've got to make my life great. I've got to come up with some grand purpose for my life. And a worldview that doesn't include a creator, redeemer, God, will provide you with no real purpose. No matter how hard we try. Uh, to make this point, to drive this point home, I'll just reference a few modern uh, atheistic writers who actually make the point for us. So British writer Somerset Maugham says that the secret to life is meaningless unless you discover it for yourself. So, well, let's take that to the logical conclusion. Another philosopher, modern philosopher, Thomas Nagel, he drives this home to its conclusion. He said, even if you produce a great work of literature, which continues to be read for thousands of years from now, Eventually, the solar system will cool or the universe will wind down and collapse. And all trace of your efforts will vanish. It's like, oh. But then he goes on, he says, it, it'll work for you. You'll be able to have purpose if you just don't think too hard about it. He said, it only works if you really can avoid setting your sights higher and asking what the point of the whole thing is. For once you do that, you open yourself to the possibility that your life is meaningless. You see, purpose only has real meaning if it's tethered to a creator-redeemer. And we can only see purpose for ourselves if we see it in light of the fact that it's given to us. And that we're participating in something much grander than ourselves. Aside from, from popular belief, we are not the masters of our fate. Uh, we wanted that that was what our first parents sought to have apart from god, and that 's what we 're born with is this desire to i 'm going to be my own god i 'm going to be the master of my own life and i 'm going to determine what I want to do and in a sense, I guess it 's true that we can have that. Uh, we might be able to get to do what we want to do, but our lives will be totally untethered to anything of purpose or meaning. Purpose will never actually be clear if we 're just doing whatever we want so Maybe we can have it, but we won't have purpose. Okay, so now we're seeing that purpose comes from outside of us. We can't really determine it for ourselves. So what is the experience of our purpose? That next point, what does it look like to live it out? I cannot tell you the specifics of what you should do with your life. (laughs) I'm not going to. The Bible doesn't do that either. But there are two kinds of callings or purpose. One is general and one specific. The general one does apply to all of us in this room. and It's a call to all of humanity, and it's to be in Christ, following him and serving his kingdom. That, I can tell you, is for you. And that's the call to be, to be a child of God, to be a follower of Christ, to be in him. And the doing, the specifics of what you will do with that flow out of the being. Don't get that backwards. You can't do so that you can then be a child of God. It doesn't work that way, or it won't work well. So, I can, though, the passage does give us some general principles and frameworks to think about how to live our lives on purpose. I think three things we see, all in verse 21, that it's a call to be sacrificial, to be celebratory, and to be ordinary sacrificial verse twenty one elisha when he when this purpose and call of God lands on his life, what does he do with the oxen he says oh man i 'll sell these and i 'll bank the money just in case this doesn 't work out no he doesn't. he doesn't do that. You see that he sacrificed the oxen and and he burned the yoke, burned the plow, and boiled the flesh of the oxen with the plow that was a No going back, (laughs) sacrificing all to follow what God's calling to do. Um, If you, some of you may remember in the 1980s, there was a a DEA agent who was captured and murdered in Mexico by a cartel. It set off a major drug war in Mexico at the time. And uh, I have a, a friend of mine whose parents were at the time running very successful restaurants in Mexico. Um, they were approached by the cartel as the war was escalating, and they said, hey, we need your help. Will you launder our money for us through your restaurants? And they knew that a yes to that would mean a life of forever being tied to criminal activity. And a no might be being knocked off. So that night, they burned the restaurants to the ground and went to America. Uh, does God's purpose mean something like this for us, leaving it all, going and, and leaving everything behind? Well, for some of us, maybe. Maybe God is calling us to go. Maybe God is calling us to leave it all behind. For some of us, it's in a sense, it's what our beloved Dixons are doing. They're following God's calling, and they're leaving all that they know to go do something else for God. In the kingdom, And it may be that. Some of us in this room may be being called to that. Vocational ministry. I don't know what it might be for you, but don't ignore it. Work that out with the church. But for many of us, it's a call to remain as we are. To remain as we are. But don't you dare see it as anything less than God calling you to give everything away. While you remain as you are. God doesn't give purpose that, may, that allows us to make a little room to kind of keep some stuff to ourselves. It's Like, okay, God, I'll do, you, I'll do what you want me to do over here, but let me have this. No, he wants all, right? He wants everything. He wants our hearts and he wants everything in our lives to, to serve his kingdom. What does that mean for us who remain as we are? It means we don't need anything that we have. Do we have a career that's great? God's purpose for you may be to see that career through the lens of of redemption, the lens of serving his kingdom. Anything other than Jesus that's at the center of your life, that will become your functional purpose, and you'll be a servant to it. And sometimes we don't know that, but it can be revealed to us because we can take the example of the career say it's taken away then where's your purpose we will see that that was it but God's purpose for us is sacrificial he wants everything and it might not me that we're it might be that we're not leaving anything we're remaining as we are but we're giving it over to him it's celebratory living out our purpose in in this life is celebratory again verse 21 Elisha sacrifices the oxen, but then he does something else with it. He boils it and he throws a party. You see that? He, he served the, the ox and the meat uh, to everyone with him. It was his family, it would have been the servants, it would have been probably the, the village, and it probably would have been one of the biggest parties they'd seen in a long time. Everybody got steak dinner as Elijah left. He was celebrating. He was seeing his life and purpose and calling as a celebration of getting, getting to be a part of what God's doing in this world. Sometimes, maybe you're like me, you find yourself feeling a sense of drudgery or frustration or maybe apathy. Sometimes we're there, aren't we? We're walking through this life with those feelings. And those are the times I think that we've lost sight of God's purpose. We've lost sight of the fact that he's doing something through us that's much bigger than us it may be that we're trying to retake control of our purpose or redefine it for ourselves but when we do that when we make something else besides Christ at the center then whatever that thing is or whatever comes along that that frustrates our goal of making that thing happen uh, it's gonna feel like drudgery it's gonna feel like the world's out to get us because it's going against what I'm doing you see that And we're not able to live a life that's celebratory. I won't be able to see that everything that comes along is purposed by God for his kingdom, not mine. (laughs) But when we do see that, we get to see that we're participating in a grand story of redemption. We get to be a part of it. It's a revolution of grace. Because it's not about us. Okay, so it's sacrificial, it's celebratory, and it's also ordinary. It's ordinary in the sense of verse 21 again at the end. It says that Elisha went and assisted Elijah. It means our calling, our purpose in life is often very ordinary. It looks like serving, like serving other people. Jesus said in Mark 8, those who seek to save their lives will lose it, but those who lose their lives for my sake will save it. What does he mean? What does that mean? It means to seek, you know, if you seek purpose in your life, if that's the goal, if you're like, I've got to have purpose. I've got to make purpose for my life. I've got to figure it out, then you you probably won't find it. Because it'll always be unclear to you. But if we seek the purpose of Christ and his kingdom, we will have purpose. Uh, So think about it in terms of servant and servant leadership. We just finished a season of nominating officers. And in training, these guys that go through that will hear things like, you're called to be humble. You're called to be teachable. You're called to be a servant of the bigger picture vision of this church, not to bring your own into it. And uh, by the way, it's interesting. I've read this passage before, and I've always thought that Elijah called Elisha, and then Elijah was taken up, right? You know the story, I thought maybe it was kind of like a boom-boom, like it just happened. But if you, the commentaries, I'm leaning on the wisdom and study of others, but the commentaries say if you work out the time frames of the kings, it was 16 to 18 years that they were together before Elijah was called, uh, taken up. So it was ordinary in the sense of it was a long journey of life-on-life discipleship, (laughs) preparation, and and Elisha served Elijah in very ordinary ways. It says in 2 Kings that Elisha was known to be the man who washed Elijah's hands for him. <laughs> ordinary stuff, y'all. And this, this is this I hope encourages us because we do lots of ordinary, mundane things throughout our lives, don't we? But they can all be seen in light of the kingdom. Uh when Michelle and I first joined a church when we were newlyweds. Uh, there was a lady in the church who took Michelle under her wing. She was sort of in that a little bit next, further up stage of life. We were just beginning to have children, and she had they had uh, middle school, high school age kids. And she just took Michelle under and incorporated Michelle into her life. It was life on life. It was taught. She taught her how to sew, how to cook, just be a, be at the house. Uh, they even went to the local nursing home and adopted a lady there together. They would just go see together visit her. Doing life together, that counts as discipleship, by the way. And I want to say this. What if we were a church full of spiritual mothers and fathers? That does happen, by the way. I see it. I know it's happening in our body. What if we all did that what if we all went and asked someone, will you be my spiritual father or mother? And, or whatever you want to call it. It's discipleship, but it's life on life. And if, what if we were all doing that? What if we were all doing that together? We'd be a church full of disciples making disciples making disciples. It could be that maybe you're in your early 20s and you're like, who, who, what about, who do I pour into? You could pour into the youth. I know Jeff would welcome that. I'd encourage you to think about that as a church. Just a way to think about discipleship, life on life. Uh, one more thing that makes God's purpose for our lives ordinary is what we would call the ordinary means of grace, the Word. Elijah, in the office of prophet, was a representative of God's Word. And Elisha went and served him. Today we don't have the office of prophet because we've got the whole council of God. So really, our purpose is to be Um, a servant of the word are we in it are we under it are we being shaped by God's word it's ordinary but it doesn't make it not amazing and powerful in our lives now maybe we're all sitting here going Michael sacrificial celebratory purpose all in the ordinary it sounds like a bit much I don't think I can do this this is more than I can do You're right, it's way more than any of us can do. And if we were to stop here, this would be just a try harder, be better sermon. But that is not what this is, and it's not what God's word is about. As we go back to that general calling, it's the power behind our ability to do any of this. Why did Elisha seem so eager to walk away from everything and serve Elijah? Something had happened inside of him before. Before then, there's no way that we will burn our plows if we have not seen Jesus as more beautiful than whatever the plow is in your life. We won't. How does that come to us? How does that happen? How does that land in our lives? Well, in this passage, it's the oxen and the cloak. (laughs) They point us ahead. You see, with Elisha, something had to die, right? He sacrificed the oxen. And he went and followed. That had to end so that he could move forward with God's purpose. And Elisha was also cloaked with his purpose in the office of prophet. Guess what? There's something better than Elisha here now. We have something better than Elisha. It's Jesus. The one who comes to you and I and throws his cloak on you and I is Jesus. And his cloak is the cloak of his righteousness. It's the cloak of his adoption into the family of God. And as I said, something must die. But here's the thing, Christ died. He became the sacrifice. So that in him, we have died as well. And we're raised to newness of life, we're raised to be able to follow him. It's so we can say with God's word in Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my soul shall exalt in my God, for he has Clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. That's the cloak that Jesus has given us. So friends, hear this. God God doesn't get frustrated with you if you're cloaked in Christ. He doesn't get frustrated. He's not standing there with his arms crossed going, how productive have you been in your purpose that I've given you? He is not doing that. He delights in you. Because you have been cloaked with Christ. You are his. And he says, go in the joy of my love. You are now part of something way bigger in this world. And God didn't just kill his oxen in his no turning back purpose for you, to redeem you. He sacrificed his own son. He's that committed. He's unwaveringly steadfast. We, we heard the music team sing that. He's steadfastly committed to his purpose to save us. And not even the full force of the weight of God's wrath would deter Christ from bearing it for you. To stand in your and my place. When that lands in our hearts, it changes things. It changes how we see things. It's about the gospel of grace that Christ is in you and that is the hope of glory. I'll close with this in 1519. Spanish conquistador Hernan Cortes arrived in the New World with 600 men to claim it for Spain. Upon arrival, he made history by burning the ships. you imagine being one of those guys? Man, how do I get a letter back home to my wife to tell her I'm not coming home? Uh, it sent a resounding message to the men that there was no turning back. Cortez came with a total commitment to a worldly revolution or a worldly conquest. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, burned his ships when he took on flesh. But his commitment wasn't to claim land, it was to claim our hearts. It was to claim our hearts. To restore this broken world. And guess what? He enlists us to be a part of that work. Isn't that amazing? We get to be a part of his work of redemption. And it can be lived out in all kinds of unique ways in your spheres of influence, and the places that he has sent you to. You can't go muster up your own purpose. You will only have real purpose if it lands on you in the person of Jesus. So, what's the ship you need to burn? What's the oxen that you need to sacrifice? Only when we die to those things will we find true purpose. It doesn't mean you have to give them up, but we die to the need of them, that they're no longer at the center of our lives. Jesus is. And we will only be able to do that if we have seen Jesus as more beautiful, that he burned his ship, that he became the sacrifice for you and I. Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen him the way he's portrayed in the gospel, that he gave all? He burned his ships for you and I as his grace landed on you. The power to live out your purpose will only come when you are walking in his power, when you have been united to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, your word, that we get to see that your, your commitment to your purpose to redeem this world was unwavering. Then, with Elijah and Elisha, that you kept your work going. They got to be a part of it. We see that you're that unwaveringly committed. So committed that you sent your own son to die in our place, to cloak us with his righteousness. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who has not seen Jesus, truly seen him. Would you open their eyes? And Father, for all of us who lose sight of him at times, would you open our eyes afresh to to his goodness and truth and beauty? that we might be restored in our purpose of following you and serving you. We pray these things for your glory and our good. Amen.